we have one small apartment community um, listed right now where we'll probably triple the LP equity in 24-ish months. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Well, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Sam Bates. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Todd. Thank you for having me on. I look forward to just talking to you and hopefully adding value to your listeners. Yeah, well, I appreciate you joining us. A little bit about uh, Sam. He's the founder and CEO of Bates Capital Group. Sam started his real estate career in 2009 and has been directly involved in the acquisition, reposition, disposition, asset management, and strategic planning of over $140 million in assets. And um, his portfolio is currently 924 units in Texas, Florida, Georgia, and Mississippi. And I know you're still doing stuff, so maybe it's even bigger uh, than that. So Sam, give our listeners a little bit more about your background. So you started in 2009. Take us through kind of the evolution there. Yes, definitely. Um, I've always been interested in finance and I was a finance major and then I worked at UBS um, as an investment analyst and I thought the stock market and mutual funds were the way to go. Um, and then I went back after a couple of years of being an analyst and I got my MBA and during that time the market crashed and I realized that stocks and mutual funds aren't as safe as I thought they were and it just was very eye-opening and I had a paradigm shift that I didn't invest in other classes because I saw uh, a lot of people's portfolios drop by 30, 40, 50%. And the same thing happened during COVID. Granted, mm. they've come back, but um, I started researching. I, I'd had some real estate classes throughout my career, but I started reading books and researching. And I felt like real estate was the best place to invest your money. And since you are buying tangible assets. I felt like it was a lot more uh, safe than buying a stock in Coca-Cola or whatever company you're looking at. So in 2009, I decided to jump in and I invested initially as a limited partner in a couple of deals. Um, one of the deals never got off the ground after going through due diligence. And then the second one, we made money, but through the process, there was a lot of mistakes. We had um, gang shootings. We had a manager steal from us. We removed the GP from the deal because it was performing so poorly. And it just made me, again, kind of reevaluate. And I knew real estate was a great way to go. I saw people making money hands over fists at that point. So I started investing in single family. And I did single family from 2010 to 13 or 14. And um, once I hit about 15, units, I realized it, it's not scalable or it, it is, but it's very difficult. And at that time I was working a consulting job. So I was working 50, 60, 70 hours a week, then adding real estate just made it that much more difficult. So in 14, I decided to partner with a guy um, who I actually worked with at a previous company. And we tried getting a, we tried buying apartments for about two years and we were getting beat out. Um, I think at that time we were underwriting way too conservatively, but we were afraid to lose people's money. So um, we brought in a third guy and we started developing ground up a 
development of apartments and other a lot development, um, a retail development, and that just kind of was a springboard into real estate from a commercial perspective. And since then, I just closed on my 13th acquisition as a GP. All of them have been apartments except two of them. Um, so I'm focused on multifamily and hopefully um, in the future, I can diversify a little bit. Um, I'd say I'm asset class agnostic and I'm just looking for the best returns for the investors and myself. Cool, cool. Let's, we're going to unpack that a little bit. So it's funny. Uh, I, I kind of resonate a lot of with what you said there. So 2014, you're sitting there going, oh, we're putting in bids, but we can't get them. And, and obviously looking back, you're like, oh my gosh, I wish we would have bought everything on the market because, yeah. but I was the same way, like in 2014, you know, it was still a lot of uncertainty and you're going, oh, these prices are getting a little high. Like when is it going to go down again? Uh I was, I read an article the other day, somebody posted something on Facebook and they referenced uh, why the market's not going to crash. The article is from 2016. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not very relevant, but it's funny because in 2016, we were talking about the market crashing, the apartment market crashing, and people had a lot of fears about that. So anyways, it just, it just was laughing when you were talking about that. Yeah, it's, you mentioned that it's funny because in 14, we were talking to brokers and they're like, it has a two year run. And then I was actually on Facebook last night looking and there was a post from 2018 and I was scrolling through and people were talking about the market was about to turn yeah, and yeah. it just hasn't. And for two, three years, economists and other well-known speakers have talked about being in the last innings and, but they just don't know how long the innings are going to go. It could be yeah. a, several years of the seventh inning. Well, and when you look historically at real estate cycles, it's a 17 to 18 year uh, thing. And we're not, we're not there yet. And that's just historical. That's just kind of the averages. That doesn't mean that's what happens every single time. So it could go 25, 35 years. Who knows? We don't know. Uh, but e either way. So, so you went into, did some development. Um, are you still doing development? We are. We're actually about to open up our sixth development um, probably next month. Uh, we've taken our foot off the development I guess train a little bit just because lumber and all the construction materials are extremely high and then DFW land is at all time highs as well. But um, there is something to be said about development. There's more risk and it's more time consuming, but at least in my experience, the returns have been substantially higher than an acquisition. Um, so I'd always like to have that as part of the portfolio and it helps our investors diversify. Some people love the development and they want to see the creation of an apartment and know that they're able to help the community and they're fine with longer term hold periods. And then some of our investors, they aren't, they're more risk averse and they want the cash flow earlier on. So we'll steer them towards um, acquisitions. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're able to sprinkle in a little bit of both. Well, you said the, um, the returns are better for development. I'm assuming upfront, obviously multifamily that's already established is going to be much better, but 
when you're talking overall returns, right. The over, over the life of the investment, what's uh, you know, and I don't, you don't need to get like get into the weeds and tell me exactly what your returns are, but what's like, if I, if I were to go, Hey, you know, what's the difference between a development return and a, you know, just a value add multifamily return? What, what do you, what could you expect to see on a projection basis? Um, well, our projections have, and actuals have been a little bit different. Luckily, our actuals have always been significantly better. Um, but on the acquisitions, we project 15 to 20% IRR to the LP, and we've been able to return 25 to 35% IRR. Um, and then on the acquisitions, we've projected 20 to 30. And like on one deal, we um, produced a 41% IRR on another that's on deal. development. Yes, that's on development. Um, we have one small apartment community um, listed right now where we'll probably triple the LP equity in 24-ish months, 27 months. Um, so the, the returns are anywhere from 60 to probably 100% better than the um, the acquisitions that we've had at least so far, but I don't know if that's gonna continue. Like I said, with the cost of, I mean, the cost of labor, materials, land, they're all rising. So it, it might change the return perspective going forward. Yeah, I mean, obviously your biggest risk is that the music stops, right? And that you're, exactly. you've got a development partway done or, you know, already teed up and, and, a recession happens that could do a lot of damage right yeah and that's that's definitely a risk um luckily we're going to have our projects finished before that happens and then um i'm talking with a company that i might share some of the equity and the multifamily, and then i get some of the equity in a single family business and he has a fund that um they're just going to start building lot developments with all cash instead of taking on any debt because he's fearful of the music stopping in a couple of years and not having, he's going to have a lot of inventory on his books. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's always that challenge with development. Obviously, like you said, the returns are, are potentially much better. Um, but there's always the development risk because how, how long would it take for you to, um, from the day you get the money raised, how long is it until you actually are completely occupied on average? Obviously it changes, but. Um, yeah, it changes significantly because if all the land we've bought, it's never been zoned multifamily. So we have to go through the city and the PNZ of each city and depend on how quickly they can move. Um, we'll kind of depend on how fast you can develop, but like, um, on one of our developments, as soon as we opened the doors, we had people in. So pretty much it was leased up in under two months after we finished construction. But um, the one we're about to open from third party studies, they projected nine um, leases a month. So it would take over a year, but just, I know that market very well. And I think it's going to lease up a lot quicker, but um, from getting the investor capital to being fully occupied, I would say it could be 
three years or longer, yeah. um, depending yeah. on how large the project is and what all you have to go through the planning and zoning committees. Yep. yep. Okay. That, yeah. That, that, that's kind of where I was expecting it to, to land somewhere in that two to two to three years. Um, yeah, that's, you know, a lot can happen in that, <laughs> at that time, but uh, yeah. like you said, uh, well, and especially if I'm assuming you're, when you're doing developments, you're picking areas that strategically, right? What are you, what are you really looking for when you're looking for an area to develop? For us, we've always looked at the path of progress and seen where people are moving. Um, and obviously, I think it's, it goes back to multifamily acquisitions. You want job growth, you want population growth, employment growth. Um, I always look for higher median incomes than I would for a development. I look for a higher median income than I would for acquisition, just because it's going to be a new product. Some of the units we can rent for $2,000 a month. Um, so if you're doing acquisition more than likely, they aren't going to be paying $2,000 a month. Um, but we'll get third party market reports and studies and just to make sure our thoughts and knowledge base isn't skewed. I mean, a lot of people fall in love with a deal or fall in love with an idea. And I think again, the third party market studies kind of helps us they provide transparency to see if our thoughts are actually accurate or not. But, um, and we look at underserved areas, all the developments we're doing, we're doing in secondary and tertiary markets. So there's not a whole lot of new product. Um, in one city specifically there is, but the rest of them, they really don't have much new product. So we kind of took the adage, if you build it, they'll come. And luckily, <laughs> luckily that's happened. And I think it's going to continue to happen with the housing shortage, the apartment shortage, and just everybody moving to Texas and the Southeast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your typical hold on the development play? Is it, is it that three years and then you're out or do you guys hold it then after you get it completely occupied or close to yeah, yeah, typically it's longer. Um, typically we'll get occupied and stabilized and do a refinance. And we haven't done really any merchant builds at this point. I, I think in the future we might, but at this point we built a nice brand new asset that has quality tenants in. So, so we feel like it's kind of fruitless if we go ahead and just sell immediately. Um, once they're built, they're they're easier to manage than a deep value add multifamily. Um, so typically they're a longer hold period, but I will say one of the properties that we have listed right now, instead of going through the refinance process, a broker gave us a number that we were honestly shocked by. So we decided to list it and we did a joint venture with one family and they were ecstatic about listing it and we'll just roll hopefully 1031 those proceeds into another um, similar development. Nice. Nice. Um, you, you mentioned that there, there's a lot less, you know, to, to do, or I guess, yeah, a lot less to do. What, what explain that for me? Well, I mean, once you get, if you have a brand new property, your maintenance is going to be significantly less. Um, you'll, you won't have to have deferred maintenance um, and working on it. You aren't going through a renovation 
plan, which yes, we're going through a construction plan and that is more cumbersome than just turning interior units. But once it's finished, it's pretty easy to maintain. Um, the property manager's job obviously is to take care of the property, but also to push rents and to get people to um, stay and lease. But I mean, in the markets we're at, the occupancy, I mean, on all of our developments, our occupancy minimum is 96%. Um, so people are wanting to live there. So it's been pretty easy to attract quality tenants. We have very few delinquencies. We have very few evictions. So um, it's just your OPEX ratio is a lot lower on a new development compared to 1980 or 90 property. So it's yeah. just yeah. a little bit easier to maintain and manage. That's great. Let's uh let's move over to kind of the business side. Um, you know, you you've grown this business. You're doing the development. I think that for for me, development, doing development, doing renovations, uh, takes a a lot of skill set. Um, you're managing contractors and managing contractors is like babysitting. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about the business and and you know, some strategies or some of the things that you find to be key to your success. So maybe, maybe take me to through, you know, two or three things that you really find to be key to your success and managing and, and uh, a successful, well, you could talk development or just reposition. I, I think one of the biggest keys to my success is surrounding myself with quality partners and quality um, staff so with the developments i've brought in a partner who's been in the business for 20 years i i understand construction from a high level standpoint but i don't understand the nuts and bolts of it i don't you don't want me to swing a hammer <laughs> so i think that's been key is to work with really great people also with like the third party managers we've went through i, I think i've had seven property managers and i'm narrowing it down to I feel like who the best are. And even um, just, I used not to interview the on-site people, but now it's a requirement because I've had some on-site people that were with some good companies, but they did a poor job. And the regional that was over them didn't do the job that she needed to do or he needed to do. So I, I think that's big. I think with technology now, there's so many software tools that can make your life significantly easier like asana it's a great project management tool or trello um and we use both depending on the property we're at and it just keeps everybody in the loop you can see the task you can hold people accountable for um if they haven't done something or if they have done something they'll have it checked off so you don't have to worry about it and you can keep moving forward um those are probably two of the biggest things i think the I guess the last thing is being in constant communication with your people. They say um, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And especially in a renovation, I'm either on site or talking to the property manager on a daily or by, uh, every couple of day basis. Um, we always have weekly calls, but when we're going through a big renovation, it's our communication significantly more um, just because if you, if things fall through the cracks or you aren't communicating effectively, it's just 
it could destroy and uh, blow up a project. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. And if you're not talking with them, they don't know if they're doing a the job you expect. Um, I feel like they also aren't. If you if you're not communicating consistently with you know the people that are getting your project done you can't expect speed you can't expect high quality you just you, you can't expect that um they're and they're not, they're just i don't feel like they're as focused on it if you're not as folk if you're not focused on it right and Every time. i've i've learned through over the years that the regionals i mean some of the regionals that we work with they're on 10 or 13 other projects. I mean, if you aren't talking to them, it's outside out of mind and they have a million things to do. And as much as you want them to think this, they don't love your property as much as you do. Yeah. So um, expectations and setting the correct expectations, I think is key and goes a long way, obviously in property management, but in life, I mean, with all your relationships, if you yeah. set the correct expectations it's gonna pay significant dividends yeah i i could couldn't agree more um what's a mistake that you've made along this journey and, and how have you learned from it i'll give two mistakes since we we're talking about communication <laughs> um one of the mistakes i made was with a property manager on a property we took over and i'd used them in the past and they're they manage a billion dollars in assets. So I thought mm. all their systems were gonna be streamlined. I thought it was gonna be kind of just a turnkey solution from a management perspective. And I quickly realized that the regional on in one location was gonna be completely different reports, completely different information than the regional or other property. And um, since we'd had success with the other regional, I kind of let, I, I wasn't, on top of them as much as I should have been early on and our occupancy dipped and we couldn't turn it around. So unfortunately I had to get rid of them. But through that process, like when I saw the man on-site manager, I should have went with my gut instinct because from day one, I didn't feel comfortable with her and it, it proved to be accurate. So um, since then I've learned to be on top of them a lot more. Um, I. I don't want to be a micromanager, but I've learned that you have to trust, but verify. And at that point I was just trusting in their success. And now I'm going to kind of micromanage until they can prove their worth. Um, and then the other mistake, and this is just a broader mistake is I was scared and didn't start quick fast enough. Like yeah. I wish I would have been buying multifamily in 2010, but at that yeah. time I was young. I felt like nobody would invest their money with me. Um, and I missed really six to seven years of exponential growth because the first project we didn't really get going till 2018 after we developed it. So um, I think just if you have a vision and you have a dream, act on it and do it a lot quicker than I did. <laughs> What do you say to the person though that's listening today and it's 2021, you know, prices are higher than we've ever seen. Um, cap rates are as low as we've ever seen all, you know, you, you know, the, the story you're in it, you know, but 
what do you say to somebody that's like, oh yeah, that was inspiring. What Sam just said, I need to start today. What do you say to them? If you're starting from completely scratch and you want to get in this business, I think education is key. Uh, I think to be knowledgeable in anything, you have to be educated. So there's many great podcasts like this, or if you feel like you need to get a mentor paid or unpaid, there's uh, one thing I love about real, the real estate industry that was different than the other industries I was in is people want to help each other and people want to um, mentor and help people behind them grow and succeed like they have. So I think education, getting connected with somebody that you relate to, and then taking the daily steps, it is pricing is at the highest it's ever been cap rates are at the lowest they've ever been. And one of the reasons, well, there's two main reasons I think that's the case is because multifamily and just real estate in general over the last 10 years has shown as a resilient asset. It's a great way to invest your money. So cap rates are going to compress also technology. It's still not where it needs to be in this industry, but it's come a long way from even five years ago. And I think technology is going to just make processes easier, make managing a property easier, and it's going to compress cap rates. And you might not get a 10% cash on cash return, which people were used to five years ago, but appreciation over the next few years, I think is going to be as great as it has been, or maybe even more. And people are saying, well, interest rates are low. And if they rise, cap rates will rise. That's interest rates and cap rates aren't necessarily correlated with each other. It's just happened recently, but cap rates still still could compress. Like in the southeast in Texas, where I focus in, they're still higher than what they are on the coast. And with people moving to those markets, they could still decrease because more investment is flowing that way. Yeah. So so I don't know if I exactly answer your question, but I think just incremental steps on a daily basis should get you to the goal and don't let fear or intimidation stop you because you, everybody has a skill set that they're great at. And if you just focus on that skill set, you can find other people to add value to you and help you along your way. Yeah, I know. I love it. So you're not telling people to run. Don't, don't, don't think about it. You can't do it. You're saying, yeah, just be smart about it. Exactly. Like if somebody's great at capital raising, focus on that. If somebody is more analytical and a great underwriter, focus on that. And you can surround yourself with people that complement your skill set. Yeah, that's so valuable. Um, well, cool. We we've covered a lot and, and we're running out of time. So I wanted to um be respectful here and um, but I got a couple last questions for you. Um, how do you like to give back? That, that's a great question. Thank you for asking me. Um, there's several ways that I like to give back. One is helping people in real estate. Um, I feel like I've surrounded myself with some really great, I won't say mentors, but just colleagues that I've learned a significant amount from. Um, and then I give my time to different organizations and also um, money to different organizations that I feel like are making an impact in the U.S. and abroad, then um, I tie it to the church I go to. Nice, nice. Um, what's a favorite book? Real estate business. Oh gosh, there's many. Um, I think the one 
I guess the one book that kind of changed the trajectory of everything was The Miracle Morning. At that point, I really didn't read. And over the last three or four years, I've probably read close to 200 books. And I, I give that book all the credit for it. So um, that, that's probably my favorite. Do you get, are you the, the, the three or 4 a.m. Uh, wake up guy? No. <laughs> I, I was a night owl all my life. And then yeah. when I worked at UBS, I had to get up at six to be, be up at the market. So I've changed my mind or I've changed my ways of waking up about six or six 30 in the morning, but definitely not the three or 4 a.m. guys. <laughs> I'm the same thing. <laughs> so I, uh, that's good. Um, all right. So last question, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? That's actually a really insightful question. And I'm not sure if I've ever thought about that, but I think I would say the three pillars are investing in an asset class that you know and understand intimately. I think when you know something, you're going to be successful in it. Also, if you are trying to create your own wealth, you have to have a love and excitement for it because if you're going to do it day in, day out, anything you invest in or own operate is going to be a grind. You're going to go, go through stressful times um, and you need to have the resiliency to and perseverance to continue. And then um, the third pillar would be leverage. Um, real estate is a phenomenal way to leverage your money, but also your time um, with in other people's money. I mean, what else, what other industry can you get 80% debt on? I mean, I don't know another business that can do that unless you go maybe the SBA route. And then just being able to use other people's money is a game changer. I mean, if I was still in the single family realm, I guarantee I would not be anywhere close to where I am now. And a lot of it, a lot of the success or where I'm at, I have to give credit to all the limited partners that have helped us achieve that and get there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That getting 80%, I mean, it, you know, but it shows you that lenders believe in real estate. And when we talk about risk, it shows you that there's, uh, this is a place where there's, you know, there's still is risk, certainly. Uh, but there's much less risk than a lot of other asset classes that you could choose. But yeah, I highly agree with that. Um, I don't it, think you're getting 80% on Bitcoin. <laughs> no, when it was going up, everybody wanted 80%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you get 80% leverage when it was going up, but yeah, not, yeah. not right now. Now everybody's running from the margin calls. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, this has been great. Really appreciate you joining us. Last question I got for you. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Yes. Uh, you can reach out to me at batescapitalgroup.com or my phone number is 972-855-7654. I'd be happy to discuss real estate or anything else. Um, I love investing and learning about investments and deepening my knowledge. So I'm glad to discuss with anyone. Awesome. Well, Sam, again, appreciate you joining us. We'll put all that in the show notes and uh, you have a fantastic rest of the day. Todd, well, thank you for having me on and you do as well.
Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.